0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard. For this podcast, I'd like to ask your permission to geek out a bit just for the next few minutes, if you don't mind. I enjoy reading a lot about the front lines of what they call scientific discovery, that place where magic and myth become real, where what we just did is clear, but the answers to how we did it and what it means have not yet emerged from the mists of the discovery cycle. So here's an example. Our quest to deconstruct and understand what it is that makes a thinking complex creature well, thinking and complex remains a mystery. At the macro level, you know, we have a tendency to dissect and examine things, and along the way we develop an understanding of our chosen creatures, complex internal organs, the endocrinology that they support, the biochemistry that runs the engine of life, the extraordinary natural engineering of muscles, nerves, glands, tendons, ligaments, skeleton, and skin. From that macro level, we descend beyond the reach of the unaided human eye. The compound microscope allows us to convert the invisible to the visible, its turret of lenses and an array of stains and lighting techniques revealing the stria of muscle fiber, the membranes that define cellular territory, and the presence of organelles within the membrane. Rotate the turret to change magnification, and we watch as organelles resolve into more elaborate structures, evidence of the division of labor that takes place at the cellular level. It's a production factory writ small. The cellular membrane, or the wall, if this is a plant cell, encircles the facility, protecting the complex machinery inside. Mitochondria serve as its power plant. Golgi bodies package and transport proteins like a biological parcel service. Endoplasmic reticula process fats and proteins used for a variety of important intracellular functions. And inside the nucleus, the processes of survival and reproduction are juggled. The nucleus is the executive office of the cell. It unceasingly goes about its task of managing growth and survival through a pair of related activities called mitosis, the nuclear or chromosomal duplication process, and meiosis, the initial stages of cell division. The cells lend themselves to growth, tissue, and organ augmentation and are absolutely fundamental to the building of the body. Within the nucleus, we find the nucleolus, the cellular CEO responsible for the creation of ribosomes, the generators of all important proteins within the cell. Now, at this point, we exhaust the capabilities of the light microscope and move on to an electron microscope, which lets us drill deeper into the inner workings of the organism's substructure. This is the mysterious stuff of biological magic, the place where the line between physics and biochemistry begins to disappear. Here we discover vanishingly small structures that are every bit as complicated as organs, striated muscle, and the exquisite elements of the skeletal sculpture. But the magic goes far deeper and far smaller. Consider the double helix of the DNA molecule. It looks like a twisted ladder. Its vertical arms are sugars and phosphates, while its rungs are base pairs, combinations of adenine, thymine, guanine, and cytosine, the critical building blocks of individuality. Adenine only combines with thymine, and guanine will only pair with cytosine. Each base is connected to a sugar and a phosphate molecule, and the combination is called a nucleotide. Three nucleotides, together known as a codon, make an amino acid, the Lego blocks of life on Earth. Long strings of these nucleotides, twisted into a fantastically beautiful gyre, make up the double helix of the DNA molecule and contain the blueprint for gene creation, which in turn guides the development and differentiation of every living thing on this planet. The molecule contains a massive amount of data. In a typical cell, the double helix is about three feet long. There's a fascinating corollary between biological science at its most basic level, the DNA double helix, and digital information technology. Consider this. If we look at every possible combination of DNA's base pairs, remembering that adenine, shown as A, only combines with thymine, T, and cytosine, C, with guanine, G, we end up with four combinations, AT, TA, CG, and GC. Now, let's relate this to the world of the computer and the domain of digital data. By creating four unique base pairs, we can assign values to them that a computer might understand. The digital world relies on zeros and ones to encode the information it manages. Books, music, this podcast, photographs, Facebook posts, iTunes music, digital video, and so on. So let's assign unique binary values to our base pairs. So CG, let's say, represents 0, 0, while GC represents 0, 1. AT represents 1, 0, and TA represents 1, 1. So each combination is unique. Now just for the sake of reality, the combination 0, 1, 0, 0, 0 1, 0, 1 represents the letter E in one of the commonly used computer languages. I think you probably know where I'm going with this. In other words, with the right manipulation tool, we can encode digital data into the DNA molecule. How much data? Well, a lot, as it turns out. The human genome contains more than 3 billion base pairs. If each pair represents two bits of data, a bit being either a zero or a one, and an individual character, a number, letter, or punctuation, is represented by 8 bits, a standard in the IT industry, then four base pairs can represent a character. That means that a single DNA molecule could be encoded to represent 375 million characters. Now just to put that into perspective, the script for this podcast has about 10,000 characters. A typical novel of average length, let's say 250 to 300 pages, contains about 400,000 characters. A single DNA molecule, then, could carry the encoded information found in almost a 1,000 full-length novels. That's a single DNA molecule in every cell of your body, of which there are approximately 200 million trillion. That is one heck of an e-reader. But let's get back to the deconstruction of our organism. Cellular replication during which the DNA in the nucleus of the cell is copied and replicated is, for all intents and purposes, the world's smallest 3D printer. Each strand of DNA carries a perfect replica of itself that can be passed down generation after generation to ensure the survival of not only the species, but the characteristics of the species that make it strong and vibrant. At an even more fundamental level, Biochemists understand intimately the chemical processes that allow the double helix to divide itself, guanine separating from cytosine, thymine disassociating from adenine, like a molecular zipper. Each half of the latter then binds with a newly created copy of its other half, thus duplicating the molecule. Perfect copies, ensuring the future of genetic determinants. But we're not finished yet. Let's descend even deeper into this genetic rabbit hole. Through sophisticated chemical manipulation, we can edit the genetic process to reduce biochemical aberrations caused by exposure to toxins, DNA transcription errors during cell replication, and the errant cosmic ray that zaps a genetic error into existence. By eliminating the aberrations, we eliminate the terrifying genetic diseases that they inevitably cause. We actively wage genetic war on cystic fibrosis, Tay-Sachs, sickle cell anemia, and Parkinson's, to name a few through the biochemical equivalent of a disinformation campaign. We change the genetic message, and the message changes the cellular outcome. It's the six million dollar man, but no longer fictional. We have the technology. We can rebuild him. We can make him better. We started this journey with a thinking, living creature, And we're now at the submicroscopic molecular level of fundamental chemistry and physics that powers the creation of the most primal elements of that ephemeral, poorly understood thing that we call life. So now, imagine the following. Already we create, as in we build, commercially viable nanostructures at the atomic level. We routinely create, for example, nanotubes made of a strange form of graphite called graphene. It's created in sheets that can be manipulated and formed into a variety of structures. And because it's many times stronger than steel, it is a very exciting commercial future. My point is simply that we have the ability to routinely operate at the atomic level. We build things by assembling atoms, individual atoms, into complex architectures. So let's imagine, for just a moment, a 3D printer with the ability to operate at the atomic level. With it, we print complex molecules from individual atoms. We then assemble those complicated molecules into even more complex structures, connective, nervous, muscle, endocrine, epithelial, and mineralized tissues. From there, it wouldn't be much of a stretch to assemble our tissues into organs and systems for circulation, energy production, waste management, and communication, all carefully nestled within the protective confines of a 3D-printed endoskeleton. And make no mistake, this isn't science fiction. This is full-blown science. We've already 3D-printed artificial joints with pain medication embedded in them that continuously seeps into the damaged tissue, not to mention fully functional kidneys and livers. That's right, we've printed them, and they work. Within our printed skull... We construct a three-pound lump of reticulated gray and white pudding, the brain, neuron by neuron, synapse by synapse, and connect it to the newly braided spinal cord that runs up the channel of the spine. We print a liver and kidneys and thyroid and thalamus and hypothalamus and adrenals and pituitary, all fully functional, thanks to the extremely delicate touch and attention to detail that our printer is capable of. It creates nephrons and lobules and biliary trees and sphincters all engineered down to the nanostructure level and all fully functional. We surround joints with ligament and tendon and integument, fill their spaces with hyaline cushions and synovial fluid, and print and attach long striated muscle bundles that support and stabilize the anatomical infrastructure. We print thick sheets of fat and thin layers of fascia that insulate and hold things together. And then we layer on a quilt of vascularized, innervated, pore-covered, hairy skin. Our organism is complete. But is it alive? I'm Steve Shepard, hopefully making you think just a bit differently.